This week on Geek Explained, returning guest AJ Kincaid swings by the podcast to discuss the adventures of the Midnight King. Join us as we put the Geek Explained spotlight on Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward's Black Bolt Hard Times. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Black Bolt. This is the latest session of our Geek Explained Spotlight series, where I take a look at a comic series, graphic novel, maxi series, or even just a single issue sometimes, and talk about why it's so great. This week, we are focusing on the Midnight King, the King of the Inhumans, the man called Black Agar Boltagon, Black Bolt. And and this has been a comic I've been waiting to talk about for a really long time. I have loved this comic to death, and now that Black Bolt has taken the internet by storm over the summer, basically, thanks to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, now is the perfect time to talk about it. And I'm going to be joined by good brother and friend of the podcast, AJ Kincaid, who is making his epic return to the podcast to talk about a character who he had no clue about going into reading this book. So it's a great conversation cannot wait to share that with you we also have this week's comics countdown where i'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week so stay tuned for that after the jump but for now let's roll on right into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i and aj kincaid put the geek Explained spotlight on black bolt hard times you don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. Make way for the king. Deep in the far reaches of space stands a prison, ancient in design and populated by the worst of the worst that the galaxy has to offer. But our interest isn't in the structure itself, nor the usual suspects that line its walls. It's in one specific prisoner, formerly the King of the Inhumans, member of the royal family, and an individual whose voice can shatter solar systems. This week on the Geek Explained Spotlight, we are covering Black Bolt Hard Times. And I am very excited because I am joined by good brother, friend of the podcast, and DM extraordinaire, AJ Kincaid. AJ, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a long time coming. 
Ah, always good to be back. I miss those intros. No one does. No one. No one does intros like Eric Zana in the business, folks. No one does. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're you're too kind, man. But yeah, we're talking Black Bolt. Um, the reason that I'm doing this is because recently, I don't know if you folks have heard this or not, but there's a little film that came out called uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and to my surprise, watching it. On the premiere date, we were introduced or reintroduced to the concept of the Illuminati, at least for mm. the first time in the MCU. And sitting far right, I remember this as clear as day, far right chair in just the most comic accurate costume was Anson Mount himself, the daddy of Star Trek TV, <laughs> as Blackagar Boltagon, the king of the Inhumans. Black Bolt, I was blown away. That was the biggest cameo for me in the entire film. Everyone's talking about, oh man, we got John Krasinski as fantastic, you know, Mr. Fantastic. We got, oh man, Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier. I'm like, guys, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Black Bolt had the weird fin wings. Guys, you don't. Guys, come on. He had the fork and everything. And it's the little details, the little details. It's the little details. And I I was just blown away by it. And I was so excited. And apparently a lot of pe other people were too. Because whether or not you were aware of this character or aware of that god-awful Inhumans show, um, this Ooh. was a surprise. This is a huge surprise getting Black Bolt in here. And all of a sudden, Black, Black Bolt-a-mania was running wild, especially on Twitter. He was legitimately everywhere. You could not escape him. And the way that it kind of caught fire, I had to strike while the iron was hot, which means a month and a half later. And <laughs> I am really excited to talk about my favorite Black Bolt story. AJ, I want to ask you, how familiar were you with this character going in and had you read this comic before? Um, I have to admit that I'm not the biggest Inhumans or Black Bolt fan. Um, while I do love the celestial and the outer space verse that is within the, amongst the uh, Marvel comics, Inhumans was always kind of one that uh, always escaped me just because I always felt like back on Earth there was just so much more that I could really relate to and that I could find or be more interested in, or there was other dimensions that I kind of wanted to explore more Asgard, um, you know, whatever the fantastic four were getting into. So in humans was always when I, when I, when I'm done with my Marvel ventures, then I'll get to it. And unfortunately there was always something or a hop, skip and a jump away to the next thing to go to. But, um, really this is my first, uh, experience with black bolt and i can't say that i don't think there's a better one to experience uh the character with i i totally get that and it, it's funny because the inhumans are never like anybody's favorite marvel property right yeah like, <laughs> even i who have been like beating the drum for black bolt for a very long time i'm still not like a huge inhumans guy like i sure I, tracking down some of their comics is kind of difficult sometimes though on uh, Marvel Unlimited, Comixology. They don't sponsor this podcast, but they could totally sponsor this podcast. Sponsor the podcast. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 getting easier to find them, but I, I would never choose like an Inhumans over like an X-Men or Guardians mm. of the Galaxy or, I mean, an Enforcers. Who knows? Like, I, I think it's funny when you kind of look back at this because this came 
right near the tail end of Inhumans Mania when it came to Marvel, when they were making that big push of like, you know, fuck the X-Men. X-Men are gone. Inhumans are our main X-Men now. And we had Marvel now, which was bringing in a bunch of new characters and post uh, post kind of that era, the X-Men were more or less getting phased out. They were in Uncanny Avengers and they had their own stuff going on. But following the events of uh, Avengers versus X-Men, that was kind of it. That was kind of their peak for really, I mean, the decade of the 2010s until 2019 with Hawkspox. But the Inhumans were placed squarely on this pedestal from Marvel because they're like, this is going to be our new big property. We're going to make a show out of this, which was originally supposed to be a film, but people got mad at each other and now it's a show. We are going to give them a huge, (laughs) big drive in the comic books. We're going to make this a thing. And even during that time, I know a lot of people were like, are you, are you, are you, because it doesn't feel like a big thing. It just feels like an oversaturation of a thing. And thankfully we did get some good stuff out of this. We got the incredible Miss Marvel comic, which is one of the best comics of this century. I think it it is not difficult or controversial to say not whatsoever and then eventually we got this little book but to get to this book we had some things going on i'm going to give you give you a brief listener uh a brief little thing on what's going on up to this point it all kind of stems from infinity which was dead center in the jonathan hickman uh avengers run and was the story of Thanos coming back to Earth to find his son Thane. He had been just on a campaign across the galaxy, killing all of the sons he had sired amongst many different planets and decided, oh, I'm going to come to Earth now, I'm going to kill my son. And this resulted in him showing up on the steps of Adelan, which is the city of the Inhumans, and barking at the door, bring me my boy, because, uh uh-oh, his son is also an Inhuman. And during the ensuing battle between Thanos and Black Bolt, the entire city of Adelan was leveled. The Inhumans were forced to come down to Earth. And in a last-ditch effort, Black Bolt used his voice to detonate a Terrigen bomb, which dispersed this giant Terrigen cloud that moved along the pretty much the entire Earth uh, over time. But this Terrigen mo- bomb allowed this Terrigen mist to start raining down on people. And if you had just an inkling of inhuman DNA in you, boom, you got powers. Not unlike the whole idea behind the X-Men. Oh, these people who didn't know they had this X gene. Here they are, now they have powers. It was probably the most blatant try to, like usurp the x-men for the inhumans because the inhumans it was always like okay these people have powers yes they're inhumans yes but it's choice they go into this uh terrigen mist they come out the other side with powers and following this black bolt was on the run because he had more or less committed a war crime by dispersing (laughs) a chemical agent into the atmosphere of the world and he and the other Inhumans eventually did regroup, but then there was a battle between the Inhumans and the X-Men because, oh, for no, the Terrigen Mist is also killing anyone with an X-Gene and eventually came to a head with 
the IVX, the seminal Inhumans versus X-Men event. And if you're asking me, what is Inhumans versus X-Men? Exactly. Yeah. That is, it's just the worst. It's the worst. It's bad. There are some really interesting things about that, but it's overall, it's very bad. Um, this was preceded by Death of X, where Cyclops was killed by the Terrigen Mist and the sickness from that. Uh, we got the Uncanny Inhumans book. And then, after all of that, we got Inhumans Prime number one, which was supposed to reset the board, and now it's Inhumans all day, every day. The X-Men are dwindled. They are over on their little Utopia island. They are off the board. Now the Inhumans are here to stay. And in the very first issue of Inhumans Prime number one, which would lead into the Royals book in 2017, they said, oh, hey, by the way, guys, that Black Bolt that you're seeing, he's not really Black Bolt. It's actually his brother Maximus, because Inhumans Prime number one was the trial of Maximus the Mad, who is Black Bolt's younger brother. And he is... Of course, you know, because he's Maximus the Mad, the trial, he is deemed guilty. He's sent off to this prison. And then in Royals number three, we find out, oh, wait, Maximus is Blackbolt and Blackbolt is Maximus. So then we get this story. <laughs> and if all of that sounds confusing to you, just imagine how confusing it was to readers to read every single month. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's a it's a mess. It's a mess. But... Out of the ashes of whatever the hell was happening there. And if if you're like, oh, what happened to the rest of that Royals book? Mm -hmm, things happen, but <laughs> it's fine. Um, the best part of that came this Black Bolt book. This Black Bolt book, which was uh, written by Saladin Ahmed, uh, art by Christian Ward, Fraser Irving, and Stephanie Hans. Uh, we have letters by Clayton Cowles. And it's just incredible. When you, AJ, I want to ask you, when you picked this up, was the Christian Ward art as polarizing for you as it was for a lot of readers when they first started reading this book? You know, I could see why it would be polarizing, but for me, absolutely not. I love abstract art. I love interesting use of colors. And I love when we combined it with um, the magnificent form of storytelling that is graphic novels and comic books. And Christian Ward's art, like just page after page, just blew me away. And so much like excellent and wonderful visual storytelling while backdrops were so just like just blotches of color or just shapes here or there to, you know, let the mind fill in the detail. But it was it was it, it's been my favorite part of that entire experience of reading it. And it's not the first artists that i would look to right to tell like a black bolt story sure. but once you get into it and you crack open that first issue it's like nothing else would make sense for what this is so let's dive into it i'm going to break this up into you know halves the first because the first half and the second half are fairly different stories the Absolutely. first half is based around a prison break story black bolt wakes up 
He's in this prison. He is being shouted at by some ungodly voice to repent his crimes. And he's not sure what he's doing there. So going into this, for the first six issues, we are introduced to several different characters. We're, in we're reintroduced to Black Bolt. We're introduced to Blinky. We're introduced to the Metal Master. And we are reintroduced to Crusher Creel, the Absorbing Man. Out of this little hodgepodge of a group, how did you uh, how did you like all the characters that were in this little merry band of prisoners? Oh, I I thought they were all so just so wonderful and just so colorful. I love that we had um, the Crusher. I remember just like just going of all characters yeah. of all <laughs> of all like D listers because Marvel has like a hard D list when it comes to unknowns, and yep. for a villain like rusher to kind of come up and it just be like my name's carl it was just like his of course his name is carl carl <laughs> the crusher that's fantastic um i loved blinky like blinky like just won my heart instantly i have a deep love for psychics and um telepaths and i really think that you can use that power set for such wonderful visual means and and they took full advantage of it and she was one of, one of my favorite parts the third, what's the what's the name of the of that other character you you said uh, metal master yeah metal master i thought was really really cool as well i yeah the side characters that while i think you know when i think when i would think of a black bolt comic and who would appear with him none of those characters would have <laughs> ever come into my into into my mind set like whatsoever it's funny because like you said there this is really like it's an eclectic group. Each of them have different uh, power sets. They all serve different roles and they all have very different lifestyles, though you start to see little things here and there that bring them together. You know, Blinky and Crusher came up from the streets and having to make choices that Black Bolt never had to make. Black Bolt and Metal Master were consigned to roles that they were given at birth and were forced to do things that maybe they didn't agree with and had to change about themselves throughout. And when they uh, when they all kind of come together and Black Bolt is faced for the first time with the Jailer, who is this terrifying, like, eldritch horror beast <laughs> thing, it's like, okay, these people need to shape themselves up, get together, and figure out how to deal with this thing. Because when you see him for the first time, Black Bolt sees him, and he is just dwarfed by this gigantic creature. And when he goes to speak goes to use his power, nothing comes out. There's nothing there. And so this provides Black Bolt with a really interesting, um, really interesting opportunity. And for us, the reader, a really interesting opportunity to actually start to get a sense of his voice. We don't hear him, you know, speak normally until the second issue, but when he is introduced to, you know, Crusher, Metal Master, and Blinky, he sounds, to me, at least, like he sounds very timid. He, he sounds soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. And so these vo these other voices, because I always hear certain voices when I read comics. Um, and hearing him, it was strange because everyone else had such distinct patterns to me. And maybe that's because you get the entire first issue to kind of establish who they are. But... It's it's fascinating to me how they find Black Bolt's voice 
throughout this outside of just the usual narration boxes, which we get plenty of in modern comics, especially when it comes to Black Bolt. But it's amazing because like these narration boxes aren't his voice as well. They're not his thoughts. They are a separate narrator entirely. So it kind of even makes it like even like when you're reading that, you have a distance from what this person sounds like and what this person's voice is supposed to be and what it's supposed to the energy that it gives off. And I, I like that's the that's my favorite concept of Black Bolt is that he is a mute because of his gift and all of that. So getting to like you said, getting to have something that's been, you know, a source of trauma for a character for so long. To then learn that there is some beauty in it and there is some power to it and it's okay to use it was such a fantastic journey to go on and we're we're gonna put a pin in that for a moment because i definitely want to get into a conversation about trauma especially when we get to the back half of this because there is mm-hmm. plenty of that especially when it comes to black bolt but i think the personification of that trauma and of you know just the the idea of abuse haunting you is personified mm-hmm. by the jailer as kind of this ethereal construct because we find out fairly i mean probably like halfway through right that he is not whatever he presents as as this you know veiled gigantic creature it's not what he actually is it's a project it's a projection it's not it's the whole um pay no attention to the man behind the curtain where exactly it is actually this former inhuman who has been mm-hmm. you know vivisected and like his body parts placed into jars his brain placed into a jar his limbs and everything and he is feeding off of the pain and the fear and the anger and all these negative emotions of the criminals to allow him to continue living and I just want to know, what did you think about the Jailer as like, as an adversary and as kind of an overarching villain for the story? You know, it's kind of hard to really call him a villain, quote unquote, because yeah, like, or at least I should say it's hard to call him an antagonist. Like I didn't see him as like the story's antagonist. I saw this as almost like a boogeyman or he's like Mr. X from the um, Resident Evil game. I can't remember. Oh, yes. 100%. yeah, he just bursts in and he's meant to cause like a, a bit of panic within. Let's go give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> all, the, all those videos are ridiculous. Oh, so good. I love that meme. I love I love all those videos. They're <laughs> like that whole era was fantastic. What a time. Such a good time. But the but the jailer was this it, what I love about him is just this representation of guilt and this representation of what you are guilty for and to, you know, um I can't exactly remember what he says, but it's something uh, of your sins, repent for your sins or something of that nature. And, you know, that boogeyman and this dark creature that kind of like wraps around guilt, because that's really what I kind of see is this like really like astounding representation of the crimes that we commit, but also the guilt that we carry within us. And it's constantly morphing. It's constantly just this dark figure and it's, this awful and horrendous representation of ourselves. But at the same time, it's only when we kind of look inwardly and we sit with ourselves, does that guilt kind of disappear? And it's only until they really start to come as a collective and 
really try to figure out what's going on do they uh you know see who the jailer is and what he is for what they are i love it as a sci-fi concept as well i just i love the idea of you know like space prison you know itself like in guardians of the galaxy or i think the movie i it's a bad movie but the movie i think it's like lockdown or something with uh guy pierce like Mm, yeah 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 yeah, like space prisons just like out there on an asteroid or just like hovering somewhere i just think it's such a neat idea yeah and to have this sort of like hp lovecraft kind of combination of it's actually alive and feeding off your energy is such like such an interesting like horror kind of element to it and you you touched on something where you said like a big theme of this is you know the crimes that we commit and the guilt that we feel and i think another big theme of it is perception perception of yourself perception of others i mean we find that out with you know one of the i think un- under underappreciated and unsung heroes of this monsteroso the giant yes. <laughs> you know the giant alien that you know they break open a door at one point and the the full page spread that shows them off it's like oh shit this thing's going to kill us. And Blinky, of course, being the person who sees past exteriors and sees past what we present is able to discern that, no, this is a kid. Like they locked up a kid. They, he doesn't know where he is. He's afraid. He attacked us because he's having a panic attack. Like we need to figure, we need to just set him to the side. We can't like ask him to, you know, fight for us. We are going to get him out of here is, I think can be attributed and applied to every single one of the characters, even uh, Rava, the scroll warrior uh, who just, she, she comes in like a fucking hurricane. Uh, and Rava, Rava's great. And all of them can get, you can give the, uh, the theme of, you know, it's cliche to say, but don't judge a book by its cover. You know, Black Bolt has endured a lot of things that not many people would think of when they say, oh, he's a king. You know, Crusher Creel has endured a lot of things that not many people would look at him and say, oh, my God, he's like, he's not just a guy with a little wrecking ball. Like, he's got pathos. He has had trauma. Same with Blinky, Metal Master, Rava, everybody. And that's, I think, a big part of what the story is trying to kind of accomplish with Mm -hmm. that, with these characters, why they're all brought together, because they are so i think they are so easy to judge based on first appearances and i mean you you look at a character like the absorbing man and it's like okay i can look at one image of him and i can kind of get what he's about yeah i can get what his deal is you can already hear the accent like it's it's very clear very quickly what makes the character tick but a big part of this book is showing that it's not so easy that people are multifaceted that even though people are maybe sometimes saddled with a certain lot in life that they don't necessarily want to be there or that their trauma or their life experience has shifted them in a certain direction where they would perhaps not want to go if they had the choice and that I think kind of presents itself in the jail itself, in the prison. Like none of these people, I mean, 
for all of the crimes, let's just <laughs> be real here. For all of the crimes that Crusher Creel has done, all the battles he's fought against Thor, the Avengers, and everybody, no person deserves a prison like this. No, no. I, maybe, I for, maybe Doctor Doom or Thanos or maybe, you know, maybe. But like th- these, relatively, you know, <laughs> Creel is—he's uh, small potatoes. When it comes to this stuff, and even more so, like you look at Blinky, like she was she was pulling yeah. her Aladdin, like all this for a loaf of bread, and she's thrown into this psychological horror prison, right? And it's it's terrible. And this is it's interesting to me when we when we continue to talk about what this prison represents when we get to i think it's issue four yeah so it's issue four after they've attempted to try and get you know break out the first time they find out the secret of the jailer and then uh crusher and black bolt are chained up to this room where they're losing oxygen and you get to you basically get crusher's backstory where he was this kid who his mom you know died early on his father was abusive and terrible to him and kicked him out when you know crusher decided to fight back he got into boxing and then kind of fell into the wrong crowd being an enforcer and it's it's funny there there's a scene where um and and a quick thing crusher calls black bolt wishbone which I love yeah. the <laughs> the fork on his head has never looked like this before, but like I I love that it just kind of like splays out, not unlike a fucking wishbone. I loved it. I thought it was great. It's a great design choice, and it gives him it gives them something together. And uh, Crusher at one point says, you know, he says, you know, wishbone. I did think about him, and I felt like I wanted to stop, but when I tried to stop, it felt beyond my control. Like when you're driving on ice and your brakes lock up, you know. Black Bolt doesn't answer and he looks at it and he's like, you don't drive, do you? And Black Bolt goes, we have flying vehicles. And it's like, even <laughs> though the two of them come from such different worlds, you get that they're on the same wavelength. And they, you know, it continues. He's like, must be nice. What do you do if you're flying vehicles in the shop? And Black Bolt goes, I often travel with my teleporting dog. And Crusher just <laughs> goes, you know what? Forget I asked. Forget I asked. I I really adore how these people are brought together because they're so they're so different their stories are so different in any other story they never would have you know been brought together for literally no. anything and as crusher goes on telling about his story he talks about meeting Titania for the first time and there's this beautiful full-page spread of Titania having, like, Iron Man and Wolverine by the neck, having kicked She-Hulk in the face and just hearts just floating around <laughs> her. And it's like, yes, of course, in that, like, in that image, of course, who wouldn't fall in love? And so, <laughs> you, like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. If I was in Crusher's line of work and I saw that scene in front of me, I'm like, I'm going to marry this woman. Like, of yeah. course. Oh, absolutely. In his shoes, absolutely. Yeah. And so you see the two of them, you know, he, he continues to tell the story about the two of them and their relationship, falling in love. And then Black Bolt, you know, talks about his own family, his his queen Medusa, their child Ahura, who we do get to talk about later. Um, 
and just these two guys are just they are so similar they just happen to come from different circumstances and at the heart of it that's really what at least this first arc of the book i think is about with the two of them finding common ground and really all of them finding common ground with each other and seeing how much things can change just based on the crowd you're running with i mean really you can attribute that to all of these characters right no absolutely and i loved what you you know mentioned earlier like highlighting that scene is like especially and kind of emphasizing just what makes you know it's so important that all these characters share and you know we all make poor choices in life to different varying degrees but it's when we get to share them in safe spaces do we does that weight kind of let go a little bit more absolutely 100 percent. and the the concept of found family is so rich for storytelling and it's mm -hmm. utilized very well here and being able to you know calling back a little bit to the first guardians of the galaxy film it's all about found family and being able to share the weight that we all carry with those people that we choose and that's 100 percent what this book you know th these first six issues are about as well with these characters who have done things you know black bolt even mentions like yeah i've killed people but i'm not like a murderer which is like a terrible thing to say yeah but it's all about <laughs> context and it's all about you know the the intention behind it i suppose and when each of them and issue six are faced with the people who they've killed all the people who they've let down the people in their life who have affected them it's it's haunting you know they end up having to rava ends up having to quote unquote kill metal master so that they can escape because his guilt weighs too heavy on him and he is going to derail their mission but i I mean, the final confrontation with the Jailer is incredible, not just because it's kind of the culmination, everybody coming together, they're leaning on each other, but also the goddamn art oh, in, God, yeah. in this issue is just stellar. It is Christian Ward is doing the absolute most in this book, the, the absolute most. And it's really the big battles and the, it's the big sweeping moments that he just does so well, like it might be like some of my most favorite two page spreads are in these books here. He's he knows how to fill a page and make it feel both visually stimulating as well as narratively fulfilling. And Absolutely. when they do get to that point where it's like, OK, we got to get out of here. You know, we've we are going to all die if we don't get out of here and we don't stop the jailer here crusher makes that sacrifice he says mm -hmm. you know promise me you'll find mary you find her and you tell her that a man didn't want to leave her tell her tell her they had kids in here and in that moment and we get and we're going to get to it because i i want to talk about the funeral issue in that moment <laughs> we see the fulfillment of crusher creel as a character and as a human being and the two of them these two friends who came together under very extraneous circumstances they see each other for who they are and it's it's i've never felt this way about the absorbing man 
until yeah. this comic. <laughs> and it's uh it's it's incredible. And once again, Christian Ward's art as Black Bolt uses his voice to imbue Crusher with his voice as the material that he's being uh that he's absorbing. Oh man, it's a good. It's beautiful. So amazing. And so everybody afterwards, the jailer is destroyed. Crusher seemingly killed, leaving only his wrecking ball behind. Uh, Metal Master did survive the blow from Rava and everyone heads off into the universe to try and find their way. Do you have any uh, any final thoughts on the first half of this book or anything you want to point out? Oh, I mean, you know, hard time, I think, is while we kind of went over, well, especially you, while you kind of went over like all that, like, went before this none of that at least in my instant deterred me away from appreciating this book and i think that this is a story by itself like the found family aspect the you know um visual representations of guilt the actual like weight that carries it it's just a stellar read um through and through like i i can't recommend it enough to anybody who wants to enjoy a good a good comic definitely agree it's it's a book that because i remember picking this up for the first time way back when and i wasn't like like i said i i, I wasn't like an inhumans expert and i yeah. felt like you don't need to be to pick this up you don't need to know all the ins and outs you don't need to be knee deep knowing that like all oh, the inhumans made their debut in fantastic four in 1965 like it's not necessary to know that you are able to dive into this and, you know, view a story about people who are in a terrible circumstance coming together and finding solace in each other. And that's, I mean, you can apply that to really any book. And I think that it's a fairly universal concept that people will be able to be drawn to. And so. Absolutely. Yeah, and so heading into the next, you know, the next arc, the second half, we see immediately that the prison has had a profound effect on these characters. You know, Black Bolt's still having nightmares about the jailer, and so is Blinky for that uh to that point because Blinky because she is a telepath, her nightmares manifest as, you know, these constructs which I think is such a fascinating idea for a telepath. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that I see a whole lot because you, you said you're, you're a fan of like telepaths as a concept. And this is something that I think is fairly, uh, uh, fairly inventive. And I completely agree. I remember when that moment happened, it was like just this, Oh, that's just powerful that's just terrifying that's to bring something from your head into the material form and into the third dimension and to have molecules within it that's unspeakably powerful like professor x rolling around here can't come close to that yeah and she's doing it unconsciously like she's not even meaning to do that so like think of exactly. all of the things that she, like the upper limits of her power and obviously you know she's a child but like Blinky can be real dangerous as time goes mm -hmm. on. Um, we do see Blinky and Black Bolt reunite Monsteroso with his parents, which was really nice and sweet. So I'm glad sweet. that they. It was. It was so good. It was. It, I, I loved that moment way more than I and the and like the special like guest artist they had in that issue specifically. Mm -hmm. 
I can't like I can probably pour through it, but like I loved that little like just I, I just loved that that break from the main continuity we got to kind of take a look at the lens a little bit differently. And mm. just that moment, especially like just the heads like talking amongst each other was just <laughs> so cute. It was just so special. Yeah, that was uh, that was Fraser Irving. Really. Ah. And, it, and it's interesting because it's it is a very different style from Christian Ward's, but it doesn't feel so far off the beaten path that it's a huge jump. No, and it, it felt very natural. And so after they are able to get Monstroso home, they make their way back uh, to Earth, though at a certain point, Blinky does uh, start to get a little nervous about what their next plan is. Um, They head back, they get to uh, New Adelan, where they are encountered by these new Inhumans following the, you know, destruction of Adelan, the detonation of the Terrigen bomb, all this stuff. Like the world is in a very different place than when Black Bolt left it. And as he kind of becomes more familiar with things that are going on, with the th- new threats that are arriving, uh, we also get introduced to Ahura, his son. And it's it's fascinating because there is a I uh, I am always drawn to stories about fathers and sons, um, and there is a lot that can be gleaned from this because the whole backstory behind Ahura is that to more or less broker peace between Black between the Inhumans and Kang the Conqueror, Black Bolt was like, "Okay, you can have my son," and so his son is raised by Kang the Conqueror, and then doesn't meet him again until he's an adult. And all of the problems that can come out of that beyond just a usual like, hey, there's a bit of a disconnect because we, you know, we're not the same people. We're not always on the same page. Uh, It's amplified by the fact that, oh, no, you gave me to a time traveling mass murderer. (laughs) And like it's it's interesting because even without all that context, you 100 percent get that they are not on the same page that they don't really they don't really talk they don't really communicate um and ahura is just this complete unknown to black bolt as a character which i think is something that i think there are plenty of fathers who look at their sons and they're like you are a complete stranger to me at times and i just don't understand you and vice versa Mm. and it's it's always fascinating to see how that's communicated in stories like this, um, because I I feel like from here it very much becomes you know it continues the themes of you know of your sins and of your guilt and kind of also translates that into you know parenting and right. cohabitation and what do you what are the steps you take to ensure you have good relationships with those around you? Like you have your found Mm -hmm. family. How do you sustain it? And with, you know, his really strained relationship with Ahura, we see that black bolts, you know, he's, he has been through an ordeal, but that doesn't solve the fact that there's a disconnect. Right. Right. I loved what you said earlier. And I especially think that, 
know, father and son stories and like really any parenting stories really kind of rings true when it is in this like light of, um, you know, super her parents and super kids. Like I loved, uh, most recent God of war, like for, um, the most recent, like yes. you know, most gen consoles. I love, I loved that father son story and, you know, kind of getting that adult, um, father and son relationship out of this comic was something I wasn't really expecting a again, because I didn't know the lore or the back backstory behind everything, but to kind of get a whole new sense of guilt from black bolt at a time where he couldn't emote it or express it was something that really was great because we got to see the central theme out of this entire story, just keep ringing true in brand new ways and also of what does the sin of the father, you know, pass down to the sin of the or uh, onto the son, and that kind of imagery kind of came through as well. But it was it was so great because we got to see just how complicated uh, Black Bolt as a character really is, which is not something that I expected at all. <laughs> I like just knowing very little about him of just like, oh, that's right, he was in the Avengers with Medusa and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's pretty clear shot character right no there's a whole lot that this character who cannot um emote with his voice has to go through and has to you know emotionally get over and figure out and just how complicated that path is in the story is so so great and so well shown yeah and i you made a fantastic point where it's like we spend the first six issues really getting to have a sense of black bolt's voice and for him to be able to i think for the first time really express his thoughts and his feelings and his emotions in speech and of course the moment that that's pulled away from him when he gets back there's his boy there's his son and now he <laughs> ha has had this this um this avenue that he could speak with blinky for instance, mm -hmm. and take her on as kind of a ward, a, uh, a another child of his to be able to actually communicate with her. Now, he doesn't have that tool anymore. And that also manifests itself when they go to find Titania to let her know that Crusher died. And he, you know, he's trying so hard to like communicate to her like hey like we're not here about that i'm not here you know as like a super cop to try and take you in but she you know she sees him as a superhero and she thinks mm -hmm. oh like my 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 darling was scooped up by supposedly by superheroes and now you're here to do the same thing to me it's a great it's a great use of um of dramatic irony where yeah. once again, you know, we know what's going on, but the characters have no idea. And so they are reacting accordingly and having Blinky once again, be the person to say, okay, I'm just going to show you with my psychic mind powers, like what happened in the final message he had. And that being once again, looking past the exterior and into the soul or the heart of the situation. It's, it's a beautiful way to, uh, to communicate the themes of this story while also giving us just a nice little superhero dust up. Like yeah. we, we haven't talked enough. I don't think about like the amount of great fights that are in this story mm -hmm. 
and they're stupid mm-hmm. good and the choreography for them is really well done and you would think that with something that's more you know character focused with an artist like christian ward who can make these giant tableaus that are stunning to look at in still images you might you know you might think oh well i don't know how he's going to do with action i am here to tell you he does very good with many of so, the actions so and, good and i loved like what what you said how it's all choreographed it's so well well placed and like everything feels like it flows so well yeah and we get you know in this issue which might be one of my favorite if not my favorite issues of the whole thing issue nine um and not just because captain america's in it but like it's the it's the funeral <laughs> Right. So they find out, you know, what's going on. Titania decides to call all of Crusher's old buddies. They have a villain funeral at this uh, at the cemetery and fucking Captain America shows up and he's just like, hey, I got a tip that there is a supervillain gathering. Black Bolt, do you know anything about this? And fucking Blinky has to be like, okay, yeah, there is a supervillain gallery, but it's not like a gathering gathering. It's like it's, it's a funeral. Like, they're not here to cause trouble. And it's interesting to me because at this point, Cap is fresh off of Secret Empire. So he Mm. is still in the process of like, hey, this total Nazi wore my face and took over the world. (laughs) And so I'm trying to, like, get back in the good graces of everybody and trying to redeem myself. And he is in a spot where he's just like, hey, Black Bolt. I know you're kind of in a very similar situation right now where all of your people mistrust you because your brother wore your face for a little bit and made some really fucked up decisions. So having these two characters who, again, I would not normally put together in a uh, in a series, though, I would absolutely put them together in a series. Uh, Having them come together and be this like, yeah, we're really not on the same page, but I kind of get it. I kind of get what you're about is really fun. Um, mm-hmm. And then when Titania shows up and she's just like, all right, what are you what are you doing here? Like, Captain America, what are you, you going to come and fight us all? And Cap's like, no, 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 I understand what's going on now. I, I just I want to, like, pay my respects. I'm going to be on my way. And then Titania goes, hey, could you say something at his funeral? It's it's so good. It's so, like, palpably awkward. <laughs> yes like i love there's just a single panel where like cap and uh cap and black bolt are like side-eyeing at each other they're like what the fucking situation we're in and it's just it's once again you know finding the uh finding what lies beneath the veneer of captain america as a soldier of, you know, justice and whatnot, he decides he's going to stay and he's going to say something. And he's, you know, he gives this beautiful, like, he says, I only knew Mr. Creel as an adversary. We lived on opposite sides of the law. No doubt he hurt many people. But at the last, when given a choice, he gave his own life to save others, to save children. If I can't condone the life he lived, I can at least salute the end he's he chose, a hero's end. And it's like, He's so good at this. He's, He's so, so good, good at giving speeches. And like even at a supervillain funeral, he knows exactly what to say. Uh, oddly enough. And also, he's not the only superhuman or superhero that shows up. We see 
unworthy Thor yeah. roll up in my favorite Thor costume that just did not get enough time to be a Thor costume. Uh, I completely agree. I love it's that so good. I love this. It's look. so good. And uh, as, as a quick plug again, you'll get to hear me talk about this eventually in our days of thunder book club check that out every friday it rules uh we we see thor roll up and he was crusher's kind of very first big super villain or super uh, adversary and thor the wrecking crew are even like whoa, whoa that's a step too far fucking thor is gonna show up here no i'm not about that and thor's like no, 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 no i'm not here to fight you guys like i just want to talk about him like we had a special relationship because we kicked the shit out of each other every Tuesday. Like, this is this is a thing. And he also gives a speech, and it's beautiful. And he talks about their relationship. I I just love it. I I care more about Absorbing Man in this, you know, in these 12 issues of this series than I ever have before or since with this character. Um, how'd you feel about the funeral? Oh, I thought it, I thought it was everything that you said and it was so oddly heartbreaking for a character that I did not care about before I read this story in a lineup. I don't think I would have been able to point out the crusher. I would have <laughs> to have my memory jogged about him. Just like, right. Cool. 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 Whose villain is he? Oh, he's a Thor villain. Right. Neat. But to then kind of go through you know the story with the first bit get to know him as a person and then get to be at his funeral and captain america shows up to like you say just give a speech and make it a home run out of nowhere and then thor who is uh, an adversary but also a glimmer of respect just shows the vastness of how one person can leave an um, everlasting imprint on somebody and no matter you know big or small you still hold a place in somebody's life is like just rings so true in this issue yeah could not agree more um unfortunately after the funeral ends lash and the other inhumans the new humans show up That's kidnapping right. blinky yeah remember lash and the new humans uh, I remember reading that. I remember reading that bit and just like, and new humans. Oh man, we could have tried harder folks. <laughs> yeah. Th those were the, uh, when the whole, you know, Terrigen bomb went off, it's like, Oh, the new big bad is lash for the inhumans. And now all the inhumans that have recently become inhumans are now new humans. And it's like spelled N U human. Like, yeah, you gotta love you gotta love superhero comics folks you gotta love it you have to love it so we're here it's it's true you have to love it or it'll drive you fucking insane but titania and uh black bull decide to go after them they do battle with the in, with the new humans excuse me <laughs> until uh lash is able to disable both of them and he puts this device on uh on Black Bolt, which sends him on this fucking cosmic trip. And he eventually runs into Medusa on the astral plane. Did you have any idea what was going on during this conversation? No, but I loved it. I loved it every minute out of it. <laughs> I was just was... in there just like so many questions that I don't think are going to get answered. No, there's no way. And it's, it's funny because like the, uh, 
this was happening concurrently with the Royals series where it was basically like, this is the Black Bolt series. And this is where you find out about the rest of the inhuman Royal family family in this series. And there was an event going on called judgment day. No listeners, not the judgment day that's happening this year where it's <laughs> Avengers versus X-Men versus Eternals. It was just inhumans mm-hmm. judgment day and Medusa to fight i think they were called the progenitors went off into the astral plane to find the key to fighting them and then ran into black bolt so this is the crossover of both of those events happening and so the two of them who have been separated this entire time get to have this really nice conversation they walk along the desert and it's just a nice moment this is the first time we actually get to like have black bolt interact with medusa in the entire series mm-hmm. it's not until issue 10 yeah and I just love the imagery. I love the sand. I loved um, it's Christian. It's it's Christian Ward, right? Yeah, but during this, um, when they are uh, speaking to each other, they actually brought in the artist for uh, Royals at the time, which was uh, Stephanie Hans, oh. to do that artwork to kind of give bit... that DNA. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and it's so it is different, and it's so good. It's so good. I, and and it's like you said, it's just a nice conversation and it's a nice little like, you know, and again, when we have these characters that are larger than life and achieve this sense of godhood in their own right, like to kind of have these like very grounded human moments, like it just highlights like so much wonderful things about these characters. Absolutely. And they have like a very frank, you know, dare I say it, human conversation where you know they've been separated for a long time due to them you know being in very different both physical and metaphorical places and even then up to that point they were having problems medusa was you know banging johnny storm the human torch on the side like (laughs) that you know he comes back to earth and like that's the status quo they're dating and it's like this is fucking awkward and so the conversation that they get to have is like do you still love me and she says you know i miss you i miss so much of what we had but what we had was broken and we can't go back to it we can't go forward you know or she says uh we can't go backward and the two of them have this moment they just say okay we're gonna go forward then and it's a very like a marriage story kind of situation where it's just it's two people who just are not they're not on the same trajectory and sometimes Mm -hmm. that's okay. And the two of them having this very like honest moment before being ripped back to their present situations is a nice little reprieve before we get back into the superhero bombast of it all. And when, you know, Lash gets ready to kill Black Bolt, Blinky fucking turns into the jailer. Yeah. Yeah. What was that uh, twist like for you? Because I remember reading this for the first time and I'd kind of forgotten about it, reading it for this. Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> it still took me by surprise. I I don't think I've ever had a more like heart sinking moment for, for, you know, the little character that is so like the character of innocence in a story. Like I've never had like a heart sinking just new. No. <laughs> oh, I hope they're going to be OK at the end. What's going to happen? But just kind of coming back to the jailer and his imagery and like all that was so nice to because again it didn't he does he, the jailer doesn't feel like an antagonist he is a villain but he doesn't feel like the antagonist of the story 100 percent. and 
we get to see that you know thank god like blinky wasn't actually the jailer it was just the jailer had infected blinky because i was just like no you you give me this perfect little ball of ice cream and blinky and you just tell me oh no there's fucking raisins in there and like it's it's heartbreaking when you find out like oh this is like the situation and we see titania you know eventually running into lockjaw who takes her back to the uh back to the cemetery while blinky on the inside on the you know mindscape encounters ahura who's just like oh great now i'm here with you my dad's fucking new stepkid like this is great i'm having a great time and the two of them have to work together to push past their preconceived notions of each other so that they can fight back against the jailer and then we get just the most amazing reveal when uh when titania returns to the gravesite to find crush is alive crush is still alive there is there's just like you said there's that like that gasp of seeing blinky turn into the jailer but there's this like exhale of relief yeah because it's like oh okay all right okay he's good everything's good he's alive we're fine absorbing man's back it, it's this thing of just like i'm i had a moment of both being happy but also kind of a little little disappointed like mm. kind of you know kind of like having those special moments with the funeral i was kind yeah. of just like ah, i wish we could have had that highlighted still but i'm i'm happy to see it i'm it's nice to hear that new york accent in my voice or yeah, in true. in my head as i read it again for sure and i and i do agree it, it does kind of cheapen issue nine but at that same point, I think it it makes logical sense because yeah. of like what, you know, what his power set is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there are because they do this a couple times with I mean, with Metal Master, you know, suddenly just being OK and alive like it, it it is. If I do have a criticism for it, it's like not committing to killing your people is, you know, is a is a con for the story because i think honestly if they agreed i mean if they were going to go for maximum impact you'd have to kill blinky at the end right like i can yeah no i completely agree i completely agree but once that's off the board and it's like we're not gonna fucking kill blinky it's like okay we can bring anybody no. back so yeah. for me like and i'm and i don't know if that was the thought process behind it or whatnot but if i was writing it and that came up i'm like I'm not fucking killing Blinky. I don't care what the narrative. I don't care how much better the narrative would be. I'm not fucking killing this girl. Then it's like, okay, well, I guess I can't really kill anyone. No, then and, and with that logic and that mindset, like I totally, I totally see what you mean. I thought they were gonna kill Blinky as well. Like I was just like, this is this is gonna be heartbreaking. Yeah. This is just gonna cause even more like, just like just darkness within Black Bolt. And it's gonna be so good. But yeah. I, I will let you folks know, listener, I've been playing D&D with this man for <laughs> God, two years now, and he loves what we in the biz call emotional damage. <laughs> I do. This man loves trauma. He loves misery. And as someone who has been uh, fairly limited in my in my Dungeons and Dragons play, he's so good at it. Y'all, he's so good at what he does. Um, he makes me feel things and hates and makes me hate that I can feel things. It's wonderful. Play Dungeons and Dragons. It's great. Best. You'll hate yourself. It's wonderful. It's so so 
we get into uh, issue 12, which is right up there with issue 10 for me, or uh, issue nine is one of like the best issues in the entire series where we get Black Bolt's backstory. The fact that he was, instead of going into the Terrigen Mists as, you know, his rite of passage for puberty, he's injected with the Terrigen in utero. And he is born with these powers to shake mountains and destroy anything with his voice. And so he's isolated as a small child, just like, as you mentioned earlier, calling back the stuff that Blinky could do. Because, you know, with just a just an offhanded snore, you know, Black Bull could destroy his house. Like, it's heartbreaking that it's the status quo of what he has to deal with as a kid. But, like, we see flashbacks of him, you know, playing with Lockjaw and his father being like, all right, cool. So if you don't uh, comply, it's time, you know, time to uh, your free time's over if you don't want to you know, comply will kill your dog. And it's like, oh my God, this is his father. Right. Oh, just the, just the note, just like that whole experience just like broke my heart. Like, especially to see it like in that like level, because again, like no context with the inhumans or the lineage that it carries with it. So kind of seeing just like, oh, this was what came before black bolt in the kingdom. That's horrifying. Yeah, and it's bad, and they should feel bad, but they didn't because they were all terrible. And like when Ahura finally gets to see, you know, what his father went through as a child, and him slowly getting to understand his his father a little bit more, it you know it broke my heart too. Like there is a disconnect, I think, at certain times whenever there's a disconnect. Be- between fathers and sons um i've mentioned it on the podcast before so i don't feel like it's groundbreaking news for me to say so but you know my my dad and i often do not find ourselves on the same page for things and it has improved a lot but it was i mean it was very not that for a very long time and being able to kind of see those uh that those cracks being repaired in this relationship, you know, mm-hmm. was heartwarming for me as mm-hmm. somebody who has felt that kind of separation from my own father. And it's, it once again, harkens back to the theme of this whole story, which is, you know, everyone is wrestling with something and you don't often get a window into that. So yes. there's a certain amount of kindness that you need to show people when you see bad shit happen because everyone is fighting their own battles. There are terrible people who do terrible things. Do not get me wrong, but (laughs) oftentimes it does come from somewhere and seeing this, you know, this kid who had, you know, probably carried this resentment for his father for his entire life, seeing what made his father was, uh, it, it, it hit me right in the gut. I'll tell you that much. No, I think that's a universal sort of feeling. I mean, I think it, we all have moments where, you know, we kind of see our parents for at, for more people than, or for more of a person than we might've seen them as before. But I think especially, you know, kind of going through like the father-son relationship and having a strange relationship with my own. And I sort of, you know, 
not the best one that I would have preferred or would have liked. It it was a punch in the gut too to kind of because I've had my moments too of completely understanding him in different ways and in more ways that I should have given him before but couldn't have seen. And to get to see that on page and in such a beautiful way, in such a heartbreaking way, in these grand and um, almost operatic ways that these characters are made for. It was, again, kind of like a universal feeling that, you know, these narratives can kind of evoke. It's heartbreaking. It's uplifting. It's heartwarming. And it's also, you know, it's like you said, it's universal. And Mm -hmm. it's a it's a feeling that I think was perfectly executed exactly where it needed to be in the story. And right as you gear up for this last big fight where, you know, Crusher, Tatani and Lockjaw are flying in. We've got Black Bolt fighting on the outside as Blinky and Uhura are fighting on the inside. Like everything is coming to a head. That Christian Ward art is 100% on just another level as this is going. And as everything is about to, you know, combust, we see Black Bolt use his power really more or less for the first time outside of the uh outside of the prison in the series yes because a lot of this is him just like palling around and other people talking for him and him punching stuff but like we see him and it's it's poetic because he just says Mm -hmm. it's over and boom just destroys the the jailer and for a brief moment we see that inhuman that was imprisoned in the faraway space prison before he became all this. And he's given that moment of being like we've said before, seen for who he is beyond all of the extraneous stuff before it all goes away. Um, in the aftermath, you know, everybody embraces Ahura and black bolt get to have this moment together and then we get this beautiful little final scene that I could just very clearly hear Sunflower being played behind <laughs> as Black Bolt is trying to trying and failing to make an egg. It's so good. Because they have that conversation, you know, in that I think it's issue four in that mm-hmm. issue we were talking about where Black Bolt and Crusher are talking and he's like, you ain't never cooked nothing. Like you gotta make an egg, like at least once, just to say you've made it. Yeah. And we and we get that wonderful little turning point, full circle moment where they get to have that moment where Black Bolt just is terrible, just terrible. There's smoke coming into the panels, <laughs> and you see, uh, you see Crusher like walks in the kitchen. He's just like, "Wow, you burned another one. You owe me a dozen <laughs> eggs." And it's like, it's not the first one. No. It's, Oh, it's so good. It's a wonderful moment. Even Tanya's just like, take that shit off the stove before you set off the smoke alarm. I swear to God. Like, it's it's so good. And then you hear this booming happening outside. Black Bolt goes up and there's Medusa. And in the final shot, this beautiful full page splash of Black Bolt and Medusa embracing each other, seeing each other, perhaps for the first time as who they are as they drift off into the night sky, it's, oh, it's chef's kiss. It's so good. It is wonderful. Um, So as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, 
how did you feel kind of overall, if you have any overall thoughts on the story, anything that really touched you or stood out to you? Um, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I mean, something that really touched me was the character of Black Bolt and getting to really understand where that power comes from and how it comes from such a painful place and how he had to be secluded to better understand it, even as a child, that to cry out, like to have, like every every babe's birthright is to get to cry out to the universe. Like that's 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 what they're given, like from the very get-go. But to have that taken away from you and to have something so, like to, like I always say that the voice is, something is a part of us that connects to our souls so so well and to have that access to be taken away from you and to have such a devastating thing be on the other side of it i always kind of thought that like hulk was a heartbreaking character and maybe the most heartbreaking in that to not be able to feel something human not to be able to tap into a side of us that's you know within all of us and is kind of scary in itself I then replaced it with Black Bolt and just that it broke my heart to think of just this stoic and this almost in his own right kind and gentle like soul be put into so many scenarios where destruction and strength was needed in so many roots and to not be able to express himself except for the physical, which is throughout this entire uh, series. And it's phenomenal. The moments of like just silent expression with Black Bolt <laughs> is my favorite like aspect of this book to just understand what he's saying with just a look or there there's this panel where he has his hand on um, Blinky's shoulder and it's so lovely. It's so just like everything's going to be OK. And it, like it's it's the little things like that that just made me like put Black Bolt at the top of my like marvel characters list like i think out of the avengers it's um t'challa and black bolt for me for just like that roster yeah 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 yeah. well and it's it's interesting because um i'm glad you brought up the uh the silent expressions because uh if, if you were not aware the previous times aj has been on the podcast um uh aj and i met in college while we were uh, taking the acting courses at said college and something that we've always uh, both agreed on is the strength of just face acting. Like mm-hmm. if you can convey your, your character, your intention, your subtext in just looks without having to say anything, that is a powerful tool. And that's something that black bolt has to make use of constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think in recent years, we've gotten a little bit more of him being able to communicate through like sign language, which has been great. Um, I bring I bring this up every single time I can because I think it's the coolest fucking thing. Anson Mount came up with his own sign language for Black Bolt. It's just it's a commitment to the character that yes. no one else has. And I appreciate it. That is such a, a great little detail. That's like Tolkien inventing his own like elf language. Like it's that's, so good. That's that's genius. But getting getting back on track, I I really do appreciate all of the expressions and Christian Ward knocks it out of the park for all of those moments. So it, good. From him just showing rage to those just those little moments where he's just like, oh fucking here we go again. 
it's it's a beautiful narrative device that isn't utilized as often as it should and it works out perfectly for black bolt as a character um i love that once again it gave us as readers the opportunity to see these characters as people which Mm -hmm. i know sounds weird but it's having the opportunity to see someone for who they are not just for what they present is a rare and incredibly vulnerable act for anyone to allow to happen and i feel like the themes of guilt of loss of abuse and especially of vulnerability and perception is communicated so well through this book and it's utilized so well and i absolutely love recommending this to people i'm glad that you loved the book as much as i did and i am excited for more people to read this book and i'm excited for more people to learn more about black bolt because he's a wonderful character and i'm excited for fucking anson mount to come back bring him back for more shit marvel like come back he's doing the most as captain johnny bravo on star trek strange (laughs) worlds right now but like come on you know what needs to be done, Marvel. Let's do this. We need a Black Bolt. We just need a Black Bolt. We need a Black Bolt. Everybody needs a Black Bolt. Absolutely. But that does it for the spotlight for this week. I want to say a huge thank you to you, my friend, AJ Kincaid, for coming on the show. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, if our listeners want to follow up with you, if they want to see what you're all about, uh, can they reach you anywhere on the socials? Uh, they can find me at AJ underscore Kincaid, K-I-N-C-A-I-D on Twitter or Instagram. And don't forget when you do engage with him, it's hashtag Kincaid for Catman always. Of course, Eric, hashtag Eric for Wolverine and hashtag Eric for Superman. Oh, that, that's a new one. That, that's a new one for me. But uh, but I, I oh, appreciate. Not if we, that. Not if we check. Every, not if we check every kind of geeks uh, work. Not if we do that. Yes, I, I love Doug. I love Doug. I'm excited for his for his stuff and getting to work with him is always a dream. Which you know because you've done stuff with him too. Absolutely um, love Doug. AJ has shown up many a time on uh, the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. Pop over there. You'll hear his dulcet tones playing. A whole spattering of different wonderful comic book characters. So check that out as well. A a secret Doug for every kind of geek YouTube plug. Heck yes. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop or comicsology or however you pick up your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, there were a lot of contenders, but Honestly, I ended up choosing DC Pride 2022 number one. This was a wonderful anthology story with some really hard-hitting and heartfelt stories. Uh, The story that Kevin Conroy puts at the end of the book is worth the price of admission alone. All the stories in there are incredible. Um, The Connor Hawk story 
for my money is also worth it alongside that Kevin Conroy story. Uh, more on that later. Uh, but I absolutely adored this book, though I do have to give a shout out to Spider-Man number three. It's ridiculous how good this amazing Spider-Man book is. I can't I can't explain it. It's just real, real good. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got... One, two, three, four, five, six books for you to check out. And I will say, uh, Ben Riley's Spider-Man number five that I said was coming out last week is actually coming out this week. I love when my solicitations are wrong. Just, I love it. It's great. But uh, look out for Ben Riley's Spider-Man on the list. It is wonderful, and it's the last issue. But speaking of the other books, first off, we have a brand new number one, this being Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty number one. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin, Ke- Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. And this is the companion piece to the Captain America uh, Sam Wilson book, I'm just going to say. And it's interesting. I'm curious to see how this goes because the solicitations and the previews have essentially made this like Captain America, but make it national treasure. So if that's the basic premise of it, I'm down, but we'll have to see. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The shield isn't what you think. It's not your symbol. It's theirs. The shield is one of the most iconic images in the world. It stands for hope, justice, and the protection of the innocent. It also holds a secret, undiscovered until now, that will change the way Steve Rogers views the 20th century, and how he chooses to fight in the 21st. Nothing is what it appears in this game-changing Captain America run by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly and Stormbreaker Carmen Carnero. So yeah, big conspiracy, big political intrigue, I'm into it, cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 12. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Sian Tormi. And I love this book. I've talked openly about how much I love this book. Cannot wait to grab this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Lex Luthor and President Bendix have joined forces to unleash the Gamora Corps on Superman and put a stop to the first son of the last son of Krypton once and for all. But a new hero has joined the fight, and he's going to use that tin can suit like a chew toy if Luthor isn't careful. Welcome back, Crypto. Who's a good boy? Yes, very excited about this. Every boy needs his dog. I am super excited, pardon the pun, about this. Um, I've been loving this book so far, and this looks like it's going to be the culmination of the first 12 issues, so make sure you pick this up. Next up, we have Iron Fist number four. This is written by Alyssa Wong with art by Michael YG. And I've been loving this book so far. I really dig this new era for Iron Fist for the first three issues we've gotten of it. And I can't wait to get more of this. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The mysterious new Iron Fist's past comes calling. It's a race against the clock to stop an untimely resurrection, but first he'll have to fight his way past two immortal weapons, Fat Cobra and the Bride of Nine Spiders. So I adore the immortal weapons, and I'm glad that they're being brought into this. It's just getting better and better with this book. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, 
We have DC Pride Tim Drake special number one. This is written by Megan Fitzmartin with art by Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque and Belen Ortega. And this is a full-on just Tim Drake Pride book. I'm super excited about this. I love the current status quo for Tim. I'm excited to see what they do with him after his whole journey of self-discovery that he's gone through. I love anytime that we get to see Tim Drake. So I'm very excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Some of our parts slash happy holidays slash the elephant in the room. The breakout story from Batman Urban Legends collected in one volume for the very first time, in time for Pride Month. Tim Drake's search for a missing friend kidnapped by the villains known as the Chaos Monsters leads Tim to realize his identity as a bisexual man. Collecting the Tim Drake stories from Batman Urban Legends 4 through 6 and 10 with a brand new story that sees Tim teaming up with his former Young Justice teammates and the Batgirls, beginning Tim Drake's 2022 path. Okay, so that's actually pretty cool because this is a collection of everything that is currently setting up Tim Drake's um, his status quo. So if you've been wanting to find out what's going on with him and read his stuff but haven't really been interested in any of the other urban legend stuff, this is going to be the book for you. So make sure you pick this up, especially because we are getting a new story in there as well. Cannot wait to see what 2022 has in store for Tim Drake. Next up, we have X-Men Red number three. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Stefano Caselli. And X-Men Red is so good, especially after last issue. I'm just super into this. I'm really excited. Uh, we've got Vulcan. We've got Storm. We've got the new Brotherhood. And now... Tarn the Uncaring. Ah, I'm so excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Power Grab. Tarn the Uncaring waged war and torture on Araco for centuries. He's the most hated being on Mars, and he sits on their ruling council. Abigail Brand has a plan to remedy that and reap the rewards. So does Roberto da Costa. But only one of them can win, and Tarn's going to make at least one mutant pay the price for it. I'm super excited about this. I love Tarn as a villain. Very interested to see what they do with this. This book is probably, I'd have to say, the best X book for me, the one I'm the most excited about. So I'm excited to see what they do here. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is a brand new number one from the mind of Daniel Warren Johnson, and that is Do a Powerbomb number one. Comic books and pro wrestling, it's almost like they made this book just for me. I'm very excited to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Lona Steelrose wants to be a pro wrestler, but lives in the shadow of her mother's success before her. But everything changes when a wrestling-obsessed necromancer asks Lona to join the grandest and the most dangerous pro wrestling tournament of all time. That's right, you heard four of the things that could get me to pick up a book. Sorcery, comic books, pro wrestling, and tournament. I am jumping off the walls to read this. I have been waiting for this with anticipation since it was announced. Daniel Warren Johnson is a comic book creator after my own heart. I cannot wait to pick this up. This is going to be issue one of seven. Make sure you are Putting this on your pull list. This is going to be an all-timer, I can already tell. 
But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number one, Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 12, Iron Fist, number four, DC Pride, Tim Drake Special, number one, X-Men Red, number three, and Do a Powerbomb, number one. Lot of number ones this week, which means we got a lot of good comics to read. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really helps me out and helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises our stock up, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read it. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky is the limit. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. Want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailback, if you have a question for me, you want a recommendation on something we haven't covered on the podcast, or you want my thoughts on the latest geeky news, feel free to send me emails. Send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the podcast. Also, if you want to keep up to date with me, participate in future polls that decide future episodes or maybe just want to shoot the shit on everything that's going on in the world of geek culture feel free to follow us on instagram and twitter that's at geeksplained pod at geeksplained pod we had some issues with the podcast and thankfully i was able to use twitter to get people updates on that this past week Very thankful for social media, even though it is a terrible hellscape. But if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, that is the place to go. Finally... Every single Friday, we are doing the Geeksplain Book Club. I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Jason Aaron's Thor as part of the Days of Thunder. In the lead-up to Thor, Love, and Thunder hitting theaters, we're going through the entire 10-part saga of Jason Aaron's Thor run. Last week was the premiere, part one, The God Butcher. And this week, part two, we're going with Dungeons and Dark Elves. It's going to be issues 12 through 25 of the Thor God of Thunder run by Jason Aaron, Asad Ripik, and others. And I'm excited. I'm really excited. We have gotten a great turnout and lots of really good feedback on the first part of Days of Thunder. And I'm very excited for you to get more of this. And I'm very excited to chat more Thor. So tune in every single Friday. Be there or be square, not a circle. And I will see you then. But that does it for this week's episode. I want to say a huge thank you to AJ Kincaid for coming on the podcast once again to chat Black Bolt next week. It's pretty exciting. I, alongside Malcolm Russell Nelson, will be doing our very first creator interview for the podcast. Ah! 
Ah, I'm very, very excited about this. Cannot wait to share this with you. Um, we're just really excited because we are going to be interviewing Ted Brandt and Rose Stein, who not only helmed the Connor Hawk story in last week's DC Pride special, but in next week's Marvel Pride special, get to debut a brand new character to the Marvel Universe. They, alongside Charlie Jane Anders, are going to introduce Escapade, the newest mutant to the Marvel Universe. Very excited to chat with them about both their new DC and Marvel works, as well as some past Marvel works, and of course, talking about their amazing comic, Crowded. I love that book to death, and we will be talking about that. Malcolm and I had a wonderful conversation with both Ted and Roe, and we cannot wait to share that with you next week. So tune into that next week, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, happy Pride, and we will see you next time. 